Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis. On the show, we unpack the truth and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you have come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Welcome to another season of the Joint Action Podcast. It's great to have you back, and it's really a great pleasure on our part to be with you. Now, imagine you'd had an episode where your pain, swelling, loss of function came about and was getting worse. You'd done a little bit more activity, but it was a little unclear as to why this had come about. It was really limiting you, and you weren't entirely sure as to what you could do to make that better. Like other chronic conditions, the symptoms of osteoarthritis tend to fluctuate. About 25 to 30% of people suffering from knee osteoarthritis also suffer from what we call in osteoarthritis flares or exacerbations. These flares are often described as temporary episodes of increased pain, stiffness, swelling, which might also be accompanied by other physical and psychological symptoms. Those flares can cause considerable disruption to daily activities, sleeping and concentration. That is a common complaint from those presenting to healthcare professionals. Despite this, at present, there's little known about what causes flares and how we can best manage them. But we are beginning to learn a lot. 
And it's our privilege on today's episode of Joint Action to speak to Dr. Martin Thomas to learn more about these flares, what causes them, and what we can do to manage them. Dr. Martin Thomas is a clinical academic working as a research fellow in the School of Medicine at Keele University in the United Kingdom, and is a specialist musculoskeletal physiotherapist in the national healthcare system. After completing a degree in human movement science at the University of Liverpool and a master's in sports psychology from Liverpool John Moores University, he went on to qualify as a physiotherapist in 2007, also from the University of Liverpool. In 2009, he moved to Kiel to undertake a PhD on the clinical epidemiology of symptomatic midfoot osteoarthritis. As a postdoctoral researcher, his primary focus is on leading and developing web-based cohort studies using self-controlled methodologies to examine flares of osteoarthritis. His flares work was funded by the NIHR through its School of Primary Care Research and through an integrated clinical academic program and clinical lectureship from the NIHR and Health Education England. So Martin, welcome to the show. It's great to have you along. Thanks very much, David. Pleasure to be here. So thanks very much for joining us on the show today, Martin. But before we get into the topic of the day, and this is partly on the basis that I'd, I'd just love to get to know the person I'm chatting to a little bit better. Can you share with the listeners a little bit more about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? I work two days a week as a specialist physiotherapist in an NHS hospital, treating and managing patients of all ages with a broad range of rheumatological, orthopedic and general musculoskeletal problems. And then three days a week, I work as a clinical epidemiologist where I predominantly been researching osteoarthritis. I'm also involved in cohort studies of foot osteoarthritis and a couple of other musculoskeletal clinical trials. I also teach epidemiology to postgraduates in the School of Medicine and supervise some research students. You're trying to keep your plate very full there, aren't you? That's it. it's like this, the standard academic, you, you, there's not enough you can do in one day, right? Yeah, I think the clinical academic role is, is fantastic, but it does require spinning quite a few plates a, a lot of the time, really. But that's part of the excitement of the job, I think. Oh, well, I hope you can keep those plates floating in the air. It sounds like <laughs> great work that you're doing. Now, when you're not doing your day job, and I know I've caught you uh, sort of late in the evening and the kids have just gone to bed, but what is it you like to do? Uh, as you say, so I do have two young, young sons who are seven and five. And when I'm not working, I'm generally spending as much time with them as I can at the moment. As a family, we like going camping to places like the Peak District and the Lake District. And I also like running. I like playing guitar and I like reading. Superb. That's great. Great to have a young family and good way to sound, sounds like to enjoy the outdoors with them. Now, if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? And don't feel limited to five because I, I, and this isn't meant to be judgmental, but I, I do notice that some people from the UK like to use more than five words. But anyway, oh, well, I'll, I'll try and go for just the five then. I'll just say five words. So I'm going to go for optimistic, principled, determined, patient, curious. Yeah, it sounds like great quality. So one I hear regularly here is uh, curious, and I think it's a 
quality that I think a lot of great researchers have, that sort of very inquisitive nature. They like to dig into things and they're never happy with the straight answer. But good to spend a little bit of time with you and on a topic that we both care deeply about and have done quite a bit of work over the years. So it's a privilege to have an opportunity to talk to you about that. But really, before we get into the topic questions of the day, just trying to get a better handle on what it is we're actually talking about. So what is a flare of osteoarthritis? So despite everything that we know about osteoarthritis as a condition, the phenomena of flares is still a real opportunity to be further explored. Living with a chronic condition like osteoarthritis, patients are often familiar with day-to-day -day joint aches and pains that impact on daily life. But every now and again, these usual patterns can change into new episodes that we call acute flares. Generally, these would be described as sudden in onset, lasting at least a couple of days. And this time frame would be to distinguish them as something different from the usual day-to-day -day patterns. They're experienced as increased pain, stiffness and swelling that affect daily activities. People's mood may be affected and it may become more difficult to sleep. So these characteristics cover the proposed definition of a flare that a range of researchers, healthcare professionals and patients are currently working under internationally. But consensus definition for an osteoarthritis flare is still ongoing. When we study flares, we can define these in two broad ways, either based on data, for example, an agreed change in pain score that a participant provides, or we can define them as self-reported. So if someone tells us they think they are having a flare, we go with that. And this self-reporting is obviously what happens in clinical practice. And Martin, as you've intimated, there's quite a lot of work going on in this space to define flares. How is it that you would envisage that those definitions may be used, not necessarily just in a research context, but potentially, obviously, in helping to better understand why a person's symptoms might fluctuate and also what could be done about it? So how would the definition be deployed? So I think it's trying to think if we can embellish that definition to understand the collection of symptoms that relate to a flare. So at the moment, we're, we're principally focusing on things like pain, which in actual fact may be slightly oversimplistic. And it may be that things like swelling, things like stiffness, starting to notice a limp, maybe things that are coming on slightly earlier in time that are almost a, a precursor before a flare episode. So I do think we need to start to try and get a handle a bit on the on the definition by expanding it a little bit and trying to understand when those symptoms arise and perhaps the order that they might start to arise and how long things like those characteristics are between when they start and when the actual flare begins. So that kind of space, I think, is where we need to move towards next to kind of validate something that makes sense for research, but also helps with people when they are presenting clinic. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. And I'm, I'm in part responsible for some of those original uh, simplistic definitions around flare and just looking at pain specifically. But I think it's really important for us to dig into a little bit as to some of the potential triggers, some of the reasons why these might come about in the first place. And, you know, obviously I've been responsible for doing some of that work, but it, but it also, you know, the way we defined that was very simplistic. And so that there might be a whole lot of other knowledge out there. So what is it that causes or triggers these flares to happen? So in terms of how flares are caused or triggered, 
recent observational studies are starting to show us that there seems to be quite a range of exposures or factors that can potentially cause a flare. And this perspective on flares and triggers is opening up a whole set of questions about why now, not why me or why have I got osteoarthritis, but why am I having a flare of my osteoarthritis now? And by asking study participants questions about things they are doing or feeling on the days leading up to a flare of knee osteoarthritis and comparing how often these same things happen on days not followed by a flare, potential triggers appear to be falling into categories of activity-based factors. For example, unaccustomed physical activity, climbing stairs, lifting heavy objects, squatting or kneeling. Psychosocial factors, for example, feeling low in mood, distressed or upset, and a number of other factors such as poor sleep or possibly related to the weather. Identified triggers appear to be quite similar for the hip, but so far studies have only looked at the hip and knee and not other commonly affected sites such as the hand. And there may also be a whole host of other things that can potentially trigger flares related to diet or being inactive. And sometimes they may just happen at random. Interestingly, in our experience, when we've talked with patients specifically about triggers, patients don't often make the connections with psychosocial factors as quickly as with the physical triggers. This is something that we can help with in clinical practice. Yeah, brilliant. It's such important information. And obviously, the reason we, we're digging into it is to hopefully help people who are out there identify what might be relevant to them. Um, and obviously, if they can find something that's relevant to them that they know is know is triggering it, uh, hopefully do something about that. Um, which leads us into, uh, I guess, my next question. Obviously, as you've explained, these flares can be uncomfortable and debilitating and often interfering with their ability to walk or, no, or do normal activities of daily living. But following on from your last answer, what is it that can be done to prevent a flare? So as you mentioned at the beginning, patients most commonly consult a health professional when they are experiencing things like more pain and stiffness that are affecting daily life. As physios, we're used to asking patients what their aggravating and easing factors are. So what things day to day seem to make your symptoms better or worse? But I often think we don't go far enough with this. For each patient consultation, if, if all health professionals can actively support patients to understand and recognize what may be their own flare triggers, we might be able to help patients prevent some from happening because they are understood quickly and people can change their behaviors around them. A few extra challenges for osteoarthritis triggers, I think, are that a trigger one day may not be a trigger on another day. For example, climbing a flight of stairs may not lead to a flare every time, but it may trigger a flare sometimes. Some of our currently unpublished data suggests about 70% of patients who experience a flare during our study deemed them to be unexpected. So people may not always be anticipating these well. And as I mentioned earlier, helping patients to explore activity-related and psychosocial triggers and the possible prevention from a biopsychosocial perspective is important. Yeah, brilliant. I guess really just to emphasize the key elements there is that if you're out there and you're having regular flares and you can find something that 
likely is precipitating them, you're much better off trying to avoid those triggers. I mean, it's not necessarily always going to be as straightforward as just suggesting avoiding the triggers. So for example, if you're a builder or a carpet layer or you're putting tiles down in the ground and that's your job, there may be little if any choice around some of those activities, but do try and get in and modify that as best you can pace if that's the trigger. But oftentimes, um, you know, people get the wrong message and say, oh, any physical activity is causing me pain, but go and seek help. There's a lot of people out there who can help you with that. Now, Martin, as you said before, these flares are often characterized by pain, stiffness, swelling, and they're extraordinarily common. Uh, the vast majority of people who have osteoarthritis do get them. But today, uh, there's been a lack of research in this area, albeit, you know, obviously an increasing volume, particularly over the last decade. But in terms of those flares, when they do occur, what can a person do about them? How long do they normally last? And what and who should they consult to seek help about the care of those flares? So evidence and guidelines that support the management of osteoarthritis as a long-term condition haven't been specifically researched in relation to flare episodes and there's no firm evidence for or against specific therapies for flares that said i think the position we should take at the moment is to help patients distinguish between two self-management approaches to try and reduce the impact of flares slow strategies and fast strategies the slow strategies are underlying things that people can start at any time and are generally good habits for getting joints in shape these include things like education about the condition and being physically active with a good overall body weight. These core approaches, along with an understanding of the types of triggers that seem to cause a flare, can hopefully help prevent or reduce them happening, but also make them easier to manage when they do happen. Fast strategies can make use of approaches to try and reduce the duration or impact of a flare early once they start with things like relative rest or activity modification where possible. Some research has started to look at things like more gentle exercises during a flare, separate from routine exercise programs that can be gradually built up again once the flare improves. The evidence would suggest that the duration of flares is variable across people at different stages of the condition and can also vary in duration even within people. For example, if someone flares when they kneel down, the duration of their flare may not be the same every time. Studies that have tried to look collectively across groups of patients suggest that on average, flares tend to last about a week, perhaps somewhere between five, seven, eight days. One study showed that when people flare, if they take non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications, not everyone responds the same. But if they're going to help, they seem to show benefit in three to five days. At a practical level, if patients are able to understand their flares and have developed their own strategies to manage them, if they're not getting anywhere at all over about a week, that might be a sensible time to consult their GP or perhaps community pharmacist or physiotherapist in the first instance. But another way of thinking about when to consult could be if the pattern of recovery is different to usual experiences. So for example, if it's taking longer to settle down than it would normally, or if the consequences of the flare are more serious, such as resulting in time off work. 
Brilliant, Martin, and such practical advice. And hopefully the listeners find that incredibly helpful as well. But just to really reiterate and stress, it's obviously important, as Martin suggested, to use those slow strategies to look after your osteoarthritis long-term and those quicker implementable strategies that might be able to help to settle that flare down. And I think as Martin's alluding to too, don't put up with those symptoms for too long. Do seek help. There's lots of people out there who can help you with that. So don't sit on the couch. It's really important to try to be proactive about this, uh, stay active uh, and seek help if those problems persist. But as Martin's alluding to, you know, exercise is probably a key ingredient here, staying active. And obviously there's a, a range of potential different both local therapies, you know, whether that be a thing like a neoprene sleeve or a topical anti-inflammatory that may be helpful in alleviating some of those symptoms as well. Now, I think a lot of people, Martin, when they hear about flares, they, they greatly worry that that's going to be leading to a deterioration in their osteoarthritis. Is there any evidence at all to suggest that a flare represents a deterioration in joint structure? Flares themselves don't appear to signify changes to the joint structure, as far as we're aware. With regards to their long-term significance, we're not sure, but each flare is unlikely to have significant effects on a joint. I think this is an important question that does require more research, but I think from the patient perspective, we should focus on the cumulative daily disability caused by flares and learn how to shorten flares more than the changes to the joint structure. Yeah, as you suggest, it's the disability and the consequences that this is having for the person that's so important and really trying to shorten those periods is really the critical element here. Now, Martin, you've been involved in some work that Joss and a number of other my group have been doing looking at flares and we'll, we'll include an infographic from that work about how to manage flares on the website. But if a person were to come along to you with osteoarthritis of the knee and they were having a flare at the time, what advice would you give to them? Well, I'd first make sure that the presentation was osteoarthritis and not something else uh, like an inflammatory disorder that requires management in other ways. I think through initial education, it's important for patients to appreciate that osteoarthritis is a long-term condition, but it's often experienced as intermittent acute flare episodes. Flares do disrupt routine behaviours, but may also provide the motivation and opportunity for longer-term behaviour change. And people should try not to catastrophize these episodes too much, if at all possible. Black and white thinking about flares is probably not going to be helpful. In response to the flare episode, I'd help to try and reduce the impact and duration of the flare with perhaps things like relative rest, activity modification, gentle exercise and medication. More broadly, I would support and encourage remaining active of healthy body weight, help them to identify their own triggers and to then problem solve ways these triggers can be modified to hopefully minimize flares. I'd emphasize intervening early during a flare episode as being key. And I think I'd also encourage maintaining overall physical and mental well-being and definitely continue participation in the activities, hobbies, and lifestyles that you enjoy. There's a lot of great information in there, Martin. <laughs> I guess what I would strongly encourage the listeners to do is probably just to hit rewind a couple of times and listen to that a few times because I really, you know, you've packed a lot of wonderful information into that particular section. I guess just to pick up on a couple of those points. One is you know, particularly around the motivation. You know, I think a lot of people, 
potentially don't do enough about the management of their disease on an ongoing regular basis. And obviously they're more susceptible to flares in that context. And as clinicians, I think it's a wonderful opportunity to engage with a patient at a time where they're potentially more symptomatic to motivate them to do much better about their longer term disease management. So to really use that as a, as a lever. Uh, if you like, for ongoing change in their behavior. A couple of terms I just wanted to pick up on there so that we can just explain them in greater detail to the listeners. Specifically, activity modification. What do you mean by that term, Martin? Yeah, so I just mean change the way you do things. So for example, if somebody is doing repetitive movement-based action repeatedly at work, and they're noticing that particular movement pattern, you know, if you're repeatedly lifting a box or turning to a particular direction at work and it's just starting to take it's take a strain if you can change your posture on that or move into a different position or alternate it with some other work modifying means to be kind of changing some of those movement patterns that might be giving you problems because you're doing them so frequently brilliant great explanation but again for the listeners who are out there that last little segment just go back and listen to it a couple of times because i think it's got a lot of really helpful practical information in there that hopefully people can use so martin obviously we've spoken a little bit about triggers as it relates to osteoarthritis and we're trying to give people advice about some triggers that may or may not be applicable to them um, but you know i guess one one message we want to get across is about the continued importance of physical activity and not discouraging people from being active is there anything that we missed that you think should be emphasized? I think one of the important things to, to really emphasize is that we want people to maintain physical activities. You want them to be active and engage in an active lifestyle. And if flares are disrupting an active lifestyle, that doesn't mean that you should do less. It means that at certain times you might want to reduce your activities or change the way you do some of your activities. But as we said earlier, we want to use flares as an opportunity to learn more about how you manage your own condition, but we wouldn't want people to feel that flares should be a reason not to engage with activity. It's more about coming up with sensible strategies so that you can maintain an active lifestyle. Yeah, so, so important information, particularly not discouraging people from being involved uh, in physical activity and avoiding activities that they otherwise uh, need to do. Now, before I get into the sort of closing questions that I'd like to tease and torture the people that I'm interviewing on. Is there anything else that you'd like to say in elaboration about flares? I think with the triggers that we've started to discuss here today and identify, I think it's important for patients to realize that they're not trying to see which one of those they have necessarily. I think it's important that we may end up in a situation where people really need to work out what their own triggers are. And just because we've researched these particular exposures and decided their triggers there still could be a whole host of other things we haven't quite yet tapped into and i think patients should be encouraged to work with their clinicians to try and find the triggers that matter the most to themselves really yeah i think as you as you've intimated obviously we've summarized a lot of this information and spoken about it from a broad population perspective but it may not necessarily be attributable to the individual and i think that's that's a really important message because you know we've looked at some studies here where we've spoken about, you know, the importance of different shoes and bare feet and even the hip osteoarthritis, uh, sexual activity. Now, for most people, uh, we're not going to be discouraging you from wearing shoes or having sex. So don't 
don't necessarily follow all of the advice because you think it might be applicable to you and trigger your osteoarthritis pain. I think just related to what you've said as well, there's something about the acceptability of having a flare that may be worth taking into consideration. So if you know that you're going to spend, you know, all weekend with your grandchildren, for example, and spend a lot of time in strange positions, helping and playing and doing things that you enjoy, but you kind of accept those types of, of flares because you want to do those activities that you enjoy. That's fine. If you've got the strategies to help manage those, fine. I think a lot of the concern is when people have flares and they're not sure why. So the ability to manage things because you know they happen, you can anticipate when they may happen. You can almost plan for the fact that you're going to do something that might lead to a flare or might be very useful. Yeah, no, so helpful. All right. Now, uh, the last part of this, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll get through all of this reasonably painlessly. But as again, it's just me being selfish and trying to trying to understand what makes people tick. But if you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do? So a lot of what I do as a physio is quite reactive. And by that, I mean, trying to help people at a point in time when they're responding to their problems rather than proactively preventing them from happening. From an osteoarthritis point of view, advice, as we've said, include education, diet, weight loss is required, and physical activity. And of course, these interventions can equally apply to all long-term health conditions. At a societal level, if we could shift the population distributions around obesity and physical inactivity levels, we could achieve so much right across so many health conditions and inequalities in one go. I think getting that right can probably have one of the highest overall positive health impacts. So along with being curious, it sounds like you're also very aspirational. And that's, again, a great, great quality to have. And I think all of what you're saying there is so, so important. Now, again, for my learning, how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of things within your role? It can be hard. I would say that I do try as best I can to be quite disciplined with my time and make time to read and think. Sometimes reading with a topic-specific focus and sometimes more widely about osteoarthritis or about general research methodology. A lot of my ideas arise when I step away from work and do things like running. Keeping engaged with colleagues and collaborating with like-minded researchers and constantly testing ideas with each other and seeing how they fit with the broader literature also helps, I think. Yeah, as you say time and reflection and getting out and doing things that otherwise might not necessarily tie you to the desk i think are, are so so important and those interactions with colleagues now whether it be around flares or other topics are there any patient-friendly resources that you'd like to share with our listeners so with regards to the flares to the best of my knowledge there is a gap in this space at the moment we are currently trying to build up more advice resources and evidence as are others. And hopefully in the near future, osteoarthritis flare management can be as well supported as other acute on chronic conditions. Yeah, yeah. So we will post a couple of things to the website, including a link to the Kiel University website where Martin's working, because there are some great resources there that hopefully people will find very helpful. Now, I know you've been in lockdown for a little while, but I would assume you've got a car or you drive along on the freeway at different times. Just imagine you're driving along and you can have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Not necessarily just talking to you, but talking to the general community. 
So in relation to the discussions we're having, um, I think I'd go with optimistic about osteoarthritis. I really do think we can get a long way by changing some of the perceptions about osteoarthritis as a long-term condition. There are lots of positive steps people can take to improve their management. There are lots of important messages clinicians can convey to their patients. And the continued investigation of flares, I think, will provide opportunity for people to really explore how they experience osteoarthritis, which can hopefully improve how they live with the condition. So, yeah, I'm going to go with optimistic about osteoarthritis. Right. Uh, it's a good message to send out there to encourage people to be positive about the disease, but also positive, hopefully, about engaging and empowering themselves with its care. Now, if there's one piece of advice, knowledge, or wisdom you'd like to give to people with osteoarthritis, what would it be? Take the time to become expert at understanding your own flare patterns and triggers and use these to not only improve comfort, but to guide how you engage with physical activities and treatment planning. We as clinicians and researchers are learning more and more all the time about the phenomena of osteoarthritis flares. So don't be afraid to make exploring and understanding your flare experiences a specific goal when consulting health professionals for help with self-management. And of course, it would be really great for patients to work with us as we try to do more research on flares. Martin, thank you so much for your time, your insights, your wisdom. It's a great privilege to have a chance to chat to you about this and uh, wishing you all the very best for the coming year ahead. And hopefully uh, better things ahead for, for all of us and people out there with osteoarthritis. But again, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having on. It's been a pleasure. So for all the listeners out there, if you had a flare, based on all of what you've heard, what would you do? Can you identify certain triggers in your life that may be making these come on? These flares are common and don't represent damage to your joint structure necessarily. They can be triggered by many factors, including being sedentary, changes to your lifestyle, stress and diet. Currently, there's little evidence on how best to manage these flares, but we are developing an evidence base and there's good evidence to suggest that exercise might be helpful. In addition to the podcast resource, we're also going to post an infographic on the website, but we'd really welcome your questions about this and other topics. So please keep them coming in. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.